0: Good morning, Crossroads. It is my joy to be with you this morning. And thank you for being together on this Lord's Day. I love saying that because it reminds the church that this is the time that we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ. And that is so important to us when we talk about the Sabbath and when we talk about what is our time that we remember our God. So thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you, uh, uh, Pastor Rod and Pastor Katie, who have just welcomed me and just, just made my time just delightful. So I'm, I'm just honored to be with you this morning. I know you are studying the book of Acts. You have been walking through the book of Acts and you are up to chapter nine in your discussion and through your road. Trip, And so I want to bring you to uh, bring you up to chapter 12. But before I get into chapter 12, I just want to highlight some things in chapter 10 and chapter 11 that dovetail into chapter 12. Now in, in chapter 10, you are introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius, as, as um, Luke uh, describes him in the book of Acts, Cornelius, one, he is an officer in the military. He's an, an Italian officer. And not only is he an Italian officer, he's also a Gentile Christian. But the text In Luke's hand, the text goes into detail about his faith. It says he has a family who is strong in God, and he also is known for praying regularly with God. And so chapter 10 tells us that this Gentile Christian, not Jewish, this Gentile Christian has a deep prayer life with God. And when I'm, when I'm starting this sermon off, I, I just want to ask you, what's your prayer life like? You know, how and where does prayer enter into your life? Sometimes people say, well, I have no problems. There's nothing uh, going on big in my life. So I really don't have prayer time. Uh, I, I'm waiting until there's a crisis. I'm, I want to tell you this morning, don't wait on a crisis to talk with God. Our relationship with God should be something that happens daily. It says that Cornelius prayed daily and it was brought before God about this man's, his, his, his faith and his spirituality. So in chapter 10, with this introduction to Cornelius, we also are introduced to Peter. Peter is the highlight from chapters one through chapters 12. Peter is, is the main character. But Peter is not there where where Cornelius is. Peter is in Joppa. So Cornelius has a dream, and in that dream he's told to go or send men to Joppa and have them bring Peter back and have a discussion with Peter. Peter, in the meantime, there in Joppa, Peter has a vision. So here's the second visitation of God's Spirit to two different individuals. Peter has a vision, and in his vision, he sees this large sheet coming down. But that sheet is filled with animals, with birds, with pigs, with all sorts of animals. And in that vision, the words of God go, Peter, rise and eat. Slay those those animals, eat them. Peter is quick to say, no, Lord. I've never ate anything unclean. Sometimes we've gone to that text and we think that text is a discussion about dietary law. It's not. When you read chapter 10, you will find that it is is God's introducing Peter to broaden his scope of ministry. That the same people are the Jewish Christians are not the only ones whose God's spirit has touched, and isn't inviting. So Peter learns a deep lesson that God wants everyone into the kingdom. And I think that's something as a church we must be aware of, that our church is not built for just some people, but God is calling people of all races, all tribes, all nationalities, all different walks of life. He is wanting to bring them into the church. Amen? Amen. And so, you here in Crossroads, I know that your vision must be beyond just yourselves. It has to be extended beyond you. Peter then, Peter declares in chapter 10, he makes that profound statement that, that I see that God has no respective of person. That this God that we serve in this universe, this God is broad enough to love all men and all women. And Peter had to be brought to that realization. It's not just a Jewish Christian moment. So that's what's going on in chapter 10. In chapter 11, Peter is going back to Jerusalem to talk with his Jerusalem uh, brothers and sisters. uh, And there they confront him. They said, Peter, we heard that you were having dinner with a Gentile. And you know we don't do that. I don't know if any of you are old enough to re- remember the movie. This is telling you how old you are if you say yes. There was this movie called To Serve With Love. <laughs> uh, yes. Yep, thank you. <laughs> Those of you who, that, that's a 60s movie, Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I don't look old enough to be from the 60s, but I, I am. Uh, that was with Sydney Portier, and Sidney Portier is teaching at a London in a British school, and there was an infatuation from one of his students who happens to be white, and of course you know Sidney Portier is black, and Sydney, she invites Sidney Portier to her home. And when Sydney gets when Sidney Portier gets to the home, oh you can bet. Come on, go with me. Don't sit there. Come on, go with me. (laughs) You can bet there was some excitement going on in that house. That's the same thing that's happening here with Peter. Peter Peter declared that um, Jews and, and Gentiles do not eat together, nor do they speak or worship together. So that's the highlight. And in chapter 11, he has to explain to the church of Jerusalem that he realized that God had a global view of the church. So now we're at chapter 12. Chapter 12, chapter 12 is, is, it's trying to bring us into another position of the church. The church is now the church persecuted. It's the church being challenged. And so I want to read just the first five verses of chapter 12, verses one through five. If you have a Bible and you want to read along with me, you see that the key text is verse five, but I want to read the other four because I, I think it builds the case. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Also, this was during the festival of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently for God for him. Wow. The church prayed fervently to God for him. I'll say it one more time. The church prayed fervently to God for Peter. The church believed that they they needed to speak to God about the situation. Now, growing up, when I I was growing up, as I said, uh, I I grew up in the 60s. I was born in the the mid-50s. And my father was my lead and senior pastor for my first 20 years. And so that, what that means to those of you sitting out there, I went to church every day. <laughs> that's, that's just what I did. You know, there was always something going on down in our church that you had to be there. And, uh, but one of the things that stands out in my mind is there was a special service every Wednesday night where a few of who we called the saints of the church would gather together. And they would come to a church to a midweek service that we refer to as prayer meeting night. I don't know if any of you are old enough to, to know that or to have been, been there, but that was a staple of our church, prayer meeting night. Now, what went on at prayer meeting night was the saints of the church would gather together and they would begin to pray And they would pray about family matters. They would pray about community matters. They would pray about government matters. They would pray about educational matters. They would pray about everything. And it was happening at prayer meeting because they felt it was important that we lift our concerns to God. And so not only did they lift their concerns to God every Wednesday night, they also had an expectation that God would hear their prayers. And not only would he hear their prayers, God would intervene in their prayers. My my brothers, my sisters, why do I say this? I believe that the church is called to seek God. When we are concerned, when our hearts are hurting, when, when, when it's just, I just want to praise you. I want to connect with you. I think the church needs to be part of those who gather to talk with God on a regular basis. Prayer is so important. Prayer is what we do. Prayer is what the church is called to do. I, I just want to throw this to you. You have a new pastor coming, a new lead pastor coming to lead in a new way, a new direction with the support of the team and your church. But even before he comes, Crossroads needs to begin praying for his transition and for your transition. Because what God is going to do at this next realm of your life, God wants to to be a blessing. I I think the song says, I believe in a new breakthrough that's coming. God wants to know, is Crossroads ready for its next chapter? But it's in that chapter, men and women are going to have to believe God. God, we want to do the work that you've called us to do. Well, I asked myself, reading chapter 12, some questions, and one of the questions is, What is prayer? What is prayer? Uh, uh, have, you, have y'all heard there are some people who have drive by prayers? Sounds scary, doesn't it? <laughs> Listen to it drive by prayers. Well, you, you know, it means that, like when you're driving in your car and you see somebody, maybe you see somebody standing on the corner, you, you hit them with a prayer in your head, in your mind, you say, Lord, bless, bless them. You know, you see a school bus and you go, Lord, just take the school bus and all the kids to school safely. They don't know you praying. You just hit them with a drive-by. Okay. You know, you see a, a little old lady walking. There's a lady in my neighborhood. She is the smallest little old lady. She's the coolest little thing. She's she about this tall and she walks through our neighborhood every day. About 6.30, she walks and she got a cigarette in her mouth. Now, I don't know if she's here. You know, if you're here, you know. But, you know, when I see her, I just pray. I say, Lord, keep her healthy. <laughs> it's the best I can do, you know. But she got a cigarette in the mouth, and she's just walking. That's a drive-by prayer. I believe there are time for drive-by prayers, but I think there's also a time for a prayer that really is beyond drive-by. And the first one is prayer is the outcry of the soul offered to God for his consideration and reflections on matters that touch us to the core. What that means is there are prayers, there are experiences in our lives that we must go to God for and believe in God that this is is going beyond just a drive-by. It is our soul crying out to the spirit nature of our God. And we're asking our God, would you consider, would you have reflections on my request because this is touching me in the core. Do I have a witness out here? There are some things that touch us to our core. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm gonna say it again since I've done it at the other two services. My, I had a teenage daughter. Should I say more? <laughs> I had two teenage daughters, and I love my daughters. They are the coolest people in my life. They're grown now. My, my daughters are grown, and I have five, I have seven grandchildren. But my two teenage daughters were the blessings of our, our lives for a while. And uh, uh, my, my oldest daughter did everything that you could ask a child to do. My, my oldest daughter was easy. Y'all have any easy kids? My oldest daughter, she, was, she would, you know, can I wash dishes? Can I set the table? That was my oldest daughter. Hey dad, you, you want me to make you a sandwich? Sure. (laughs) So my my, my oldest daughter, she was was cool. She, 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 She graduated from Rocky and then went to CSU and went on to do good things with her life. Well, I had a second daughter. I should have stopped at number one, but no, no. Everybody's saying, oh, you need lots of kids, and kids will bring you joy, and they'll just make you happy. You know, They'll make you happy as long as you got them bundled in your arms. But now once they are walking, anyway, I'm just digressing. I'm sorry. I'm just having a flashback moment. But uh, my youngest daughter, my youngest daughter, she made me truly learn how to pray. My youngest daughter, I love this child, her name is Melissa. Melissa was that kid when she would go out with her friends at 14 and 15, she would forget to come home. I'm talking to somebody, yeah. My youngest daughter, she forgot where and where we live, you know. She forgot her, her cell phone was always, it had run out of juice. Things got really tough. In in our home, and and I mean this in all sincerity, and I'm not making fun of you with children who are challenging, but my child challenged us. And I remember one night, late night, uh, there was a knock at my door about one or two in the morning, and I was hoping that it was my daughter. I don't know why she would be knocking, but I still prayed, Lord, let it be my daughter. It wasn't, it was a policeman. And it gets it's pretty bad when the policeman know you by name. He says, Hello, Reverend Williams. I go, Darn, this is not gonna be good. No, no. He goes, Reverend Williams, Melissa's your daughter, and I say, Yeah, she is. He goes, "Uh, we have her and some other kids downtown, and we need you to come down and get her. Two in the morning. It was probably a Sunday morning because I got to go to church, you know, later. It was, it, was, it was tough. And so I remember, you know, getting my child, bringing my child home, but my heart was breaking. Lord, what am I doing wrong? And not only what am I doing wrong, God, how can you help this child? And he did. This child eventually found her footing, but it was through much prayer with me and her mother. My brothers and sisters, sometimes you've got to know prayer has to go beyond just a drive-by. You've got to have an outcry of the soul. Secondly, prayer is the pursuit of God for the intervention in matters not otherwise attainable. If prayer does not open the door, I will tell you the door cannot be opened. The church has to realize and accept that there are some things only the church has power to deal with. I'll be bold enough to tell you this. I think the church, when the church gets serious, only church is going to eradicate racism. Not the university, not the government, not the people of the street. The church has the power to promote love beyond our racism. And when we get serious about that, I think we will begin to pray. The church knows unless we are serious about that and we begin to pray for the pursuit of interventional manners that if we don't go to God, they can't be attained. There are some things maybe going on in your life that you're saying, it's beyond my control, my marriage, my divorce, my, my, my life, my finances, my brothers and my sisters. Stop trying to make it work. Go back to God. And thirdly, prayer is the impulse to connect with God from a true sense of dependence on his mercy. I like that. Prayer has to be something that I'm I'm connecting with God, not because I, I, I've, I've tried everything else, but it's my first option. God, I believe that, that in your mercy, because you love me, you gave your son for me, your son bled and died for me, that I could come to you about anything. It does not matter. I know you have the capacity. To show mercy. God, I petition you about my matter. Now, God, that is such a gracious and a great thing to know. Prayer is what God wants us to, to come to Him. Prayer is that relationship connector. There is no other way, my brothers and sisters, that you actually connect with God other than through prayer. Huh. Sometimes we say, Oh, Dave, I, I'm, I'm reading a lot of good books. I love books, I'm a great reader. But we speak to this, this creator God through our prayers. Well, when I'm reading chapter 12, and I wanted to make sure you walked out if you're ready for the next chapters. I think you're gonna get ready for chapter 15. There are three things that Peter teaches us in the book of prayer, uh, in the book of Acts about prayer. I think one of the first things that you can tell yourself when you're reading this book of Acts and you're at chapter 12, prayer unlocked Peter's chains. That's what the chapter talks about. It says that there was an angel that came to Peter. He speaks to Peter. He touches Peter. And when Peter comes to himself, Peter's chains are unlocked. When you're praying about matters, know that there are things that you got to believe. God, I don't know what your time frame is, but I'm trusting you with this matter. Prayers, prayers unlocked the chains on Peter. The chains symbolize our fears. What are you fearful of today? What are you scared that somebody's going to find out about you? what are you sitting here this morning saying I'm going to church but I don't want nobody really to know this let me tell you you serve a God who's the God of the second chances he's the God of the third chances he's the God of the fourth he's the God who wants to alleviate your fears secondly prayer unlocked the cell doors when the angel was there the angel tells Peter get up let's go let's leave this place And it says that he goes beyond the first guard and the second guard. And then he's out in the street and Peter comes to a realization, this isn't a dream. My brothers and my sisters, sometimes you will ask God for something and you know nothing short of a miracle will make it worthwhile. And you're you're telling yourself, if God doesn't do this, it can't be done. But God does it. You gotta know that God is the one who unlocks our cell doors. That thing that's blocking us from moving forward. There's somebody who has hurt you, but only God can, can break that door from that hurt. There's someone in your life where you're saying, but I can't get beyond what they or she did, what he did. God gives us access. And I said, when he takes our doors away, he opens us to the public. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people in your community. There's people at your jobs that you need to be sharing the gospel with. But God is saying, I want to unlock that that door. And then third, God unlocks our opposition. I think there are opposition all around the church. Just like Peter, the church was praying earnestly for Peter because there was Opposition. Herod did not want the church to grow. Even though the church had a fantastic kickoff at the day of Pentecost, it was still troubling that this new radical group is gaining traction. And so there were Jewish people who said, no, no more of this splinter group. And they went public and it says, let's, let's, let's stop them. Sometimes there are, uh... Forces that would try to stop you, stop your homes, stop our lives, stop our churches, stop us individually. You got to know opposition is part of it. But in that opposition, God is the God who often will give us new opportunities. But I will say, early in chapter 12 and verses 1 through 5, there's a statement that most people run past. It says, early in chapters 12, 1 through. One through five, it says, Peter was placed in prison, but James, the brother of John, died. Today, my friends, just because you tell God there's something you want is not a clear uh, explanation from God that it's going to happen your way. I'm one of those pastors who often does hospital calls and prison calls. Uh, I I go to where people's lives are broken. I've often had conversations with families whose kids are, are deep into drugs, and I know that. But I tell them there's a God who's able to sustain them. Even in our darkest moments, God may not bring your mother, your brother, your father back medically, but see, we in the church believe that this life is temporary and we believe we'll see them again. James died. Sometimes our prayers will be answered the way we seek God for, but there are other times where we have to just believe God is going to make it his way. He's going to answer it. And I'm going to give him praise for that. That's when we know we're believing God, that he wants the best for us. Wow. James dies. and So the church prays. I don't know. It doesn't say what they prayed for, but it says they prayed for Peter while he was in prison. And I would suspect that they prayed, Peter, please get out alive. Well, Peter does. He gets out through the angel, and Peter is going back to the home of one of the prayer groups, that prayer meeting thing that I told you about. There's a group having prayer. And Peter goes to the house, and it's the house of Mary, the mother of of James and John. And Peter knocks on the door when Peter knocks on the door, the servant girl answers. And in my imagination, they had one of them little, one of them little things that you pull open and you look out the door. Any of y'all got that kind of door? You know where you because you just want to look and you really don't want them to see the rest of you. You just want them to see your eyes. You know, so that way they won't know if it's you or your mother or your brother. They only see your eyes. So the little girl opened up the door, opened the little thing and she looked out and she saw it was Peter. And she began to say, oh my God, it's Peter. And the scripture says she was amazed. She was excited. And she went back and told the church people that was praying, Peter's here. And you know what the church people said? No, that ain't Peter. <laughs> Peter in prison. That can't be prison. That can't be Peter. We know where he at. He locked up. And the girl says, no, it's Peter. And they said, no, I don't know what you, is this Colorado? I just, (laughs) they thought the girl had been smoking something. They said, no, Peter's in jail. (laughs) And then Peter continued to knock. And the next thing you know, Peter, uh, they opened the door and they tell Peter that Peter says, go and tell James, the brother of Jesus, that I am here that God has opened a door for me. Because of your prayers, I'm here. And Peter goes on to another place where Herod will not find him. Let me close this morning so you can get home. I'm from the South. Anybody here from the South? Whoa, thank you. I'm from the South. And down South, I love the South because when you drive down South, everybody wave at you. You know, you be driving in your car. I, I, y'all you ever, you ever seen the two finger? <laughs> that means hello. All right. So just in case y'all go down there when you're driving, there you go. That means hey. But other folks you be driving, they, they, they just wave out, you. They don't know you. They just hey. They good to see you. Thank you for being here with us. That's that's where that's where I'm from. But uh, the story was told when I was growing up that there was this drought in this community of farmers. And the farmers were concerned that they haven't had any water in a number of days. And if they didn't get rain soon, many of their crops would die. And so the church folk decided at the next prayer meeting, we're going to get together and have prayer. And so they went to the church and the farmers all came and they began to petition to God. God, have mercy upon us. God, we need rain. God, help us. God, we know you can. You have water. You can feed us. You can do it like you did to flood. Help us, help us, help us. That Sunday, everybody was coming to church, beautiful sunny day. Old lady came in and in my tradition, we call her mother. Anybody older than you is mother. So a mother came in and mother had an umbrella on her arm. And mother came into the sanctuary and one of the deacons went over there and said to her, say, mother, good to have you here this morning, but uh, what's the umbrella for? So mother said, well, baby, I heard at last prayer meeting y'all said, y'all was praying to God to send rain. And he said, yeah, mother, we did pray, but look at that sky out there. It's perfectly blue, not a cloud in the sky. Mother, why you bring that umbrella? Mother just tucked that umbrella upon her arm. She said, Well, baby, when I get through praying and worshiping this morning. My faith tells me that God is going to open up the doors and rain is going to come by the time I leave out of here. And I'm going to have my umbrella because it's my way of saying, God, I know what you're me. God, I pray believing. God, I know you're with me. My brothers and my sisters, when you are in your ordeals, get your umbrellas out and you go ahead and open them up and tell yourself, I know you're going to walk with. Me, let's pray. Thank you, God. We believe that you're with us, and we believe in the power of prayer. We're going to get our umbrellas out whether it's about our daughters, whether it's about our country, whether it's about our church, whether it's about us individually. We want to consult you, we believe. You will intervene. God, come into our lives. And may we be like Cornelius, having prayer time often with you. Prayer must flow from our core. Be with us, O God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.